Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And in this episode, we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series called Mosaic, where we're exploring different stories from Jesus's life to see what these stories can teach us about who Jesus is. And in this week's episode, we're specifically going to be exploring the story of Jesus's interaction with a man named Nathaniel. Now, just in case you don't remember how this story goes, it actually starts out on the wrong foot, because when Nathaniel first hears about Jesus and where Jesus is from, he asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? But even though Nathanael questions Jesus's very identity, we're going to see that Jesus continues to love and accept Nathanael, just like Jesus loves and accepts us all. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So right now, Melbourne Heights, like I've already told you, we're in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling Mosaic. And throughout this series, we are taking a look at different stories or different pieces from Jesus' time on this earth to see what these stories can tell us about who Jesus is. And just like when you add another piece into a mosaic work of art, it makes the picture a little bit clearer. Every story about Jesus gives us a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Every story about Jesus gives us a clearer picture Jesus is. But before we dive in and start taking a look at the story that we're going to be talking about from Jesus's life this week, there's another story that I want to tell you first. And as this story begins, there were people everywhere. More than 2,000 buses, 21 special trains, 10 chartered flights, an uncounted number of cars from And on this day, more than 300,000 people were standing between the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and the towering Washington Monument just under a mile away. These people had come together in our nation's capital for what would become the largest political rally in the history of our nation at the time. They had come together that day to march inside the Beltway. They had come together that day to raise their voices and demand their civil rights. They had come together that day because they were sick and tired of being treated like second-class citizens. They had come together that day because they were fed up with being rejected by the country that they called home. So they all came together that day in our nation's capital to make sure that their voices were heard. But there was one voice that resonated more than any other that day. And that voice belonged to a 34-year-old preacher from the South who had become a leader in the civil rights movement in Montgomery, Alabama, just eight years earlier. So with 300,000 people gathered in the National Mall listening to every word that he said, that young preacher talked about his dream. He talked about the dream that this nation will one day rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. A dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. A dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. A dream that one day his four little children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. 
a dream that one day little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. A dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and every mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. The crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. But the reality is that as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech that day, he may have been sharing his own personal dreams, but he was also speaking on behalf of every one of those 300,000 people that had gathered in the National Mall that day for the March on Washington. He was speaking on behalf of the 19 million black Americans who called the United States their home at the time. He was speaking on behalf of an untold number of people who had continued to face oppression and prejudice, even though the Civil, even though the Civil War brought an end to slavery more than 100 years earlier. Dr. King was speaking on behalf of countless people who continued to feel the sting of rejection in their lives every single day. So on that day, Dr. King was speaking on behalf of like a 42-year-old woman from Montgomery, Alabama, who just wanted to go home after a long day working in a local department store. Her feet were tired, and all she wanted to do was rest on the bus on her way home. But the bus driver tried to force her to give up her seat. But he didn't try to force her to give up her seat to someone who actually needed that seat, like a person with a disability or maybe even a senior citizen. No, he tried to force her to give up her seat simply because she looked different than the passengers who were standing on the bus. Well, feeling rejected by the world that she lived in simply because of the color of her skin, she refused to give up her seat, and she was arrested because of her decision. On that day, Dr. King was speaking on behalf of people like a retired sergeant in the United States Army who had served his country during World War II, only to come back home and be treated like a second-class citizen in the United States. Sure, he was good enough to go halfway around the world and fight for his country, but there were places that he wasn't allowed to eat at, certain lunch counters he couldn't sit down at, certain water fountains he couldn't drink from, certain bathrooms that he couldn't use, simply because of the color of his skin. He was fed up with his unfair treatment, so he decided that as a retired sergeant in the U.S. Army, it was time to him for him to fight for his own civil rights. But in the ultimate act of rejection, his life was taken from him by a member of a white supremacist group just a month before the march on Washington took place. So Dr. King was speaking on behalf of so many oppressed and rejected people when he delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. But what makes that speech so powerful, what makes that speech a speech that we still remember and we recite more than almost 60 years later is the fact that Dr. King was also speaking from his own experiences. Just like Rosa Parks, Dr. King knew what it was like to be forced to give up his seat on a bus so that a white person could sit down. Just like Medgar Evers, Dr. King knew what it was like to be refused service at lunch counters or be told that there were water fountains he couldn't drink from because of the color of his skin. Dr. King had his house bombed on multiple occasions. He had his freedoms constantly denied to him. He found himself arrested and imprisoned so many times. 
So as Dr. King stood and delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech, he was able to eloquently explain and talk about the rejection that so many people, so many black Americans and other people of color had faced because he had experienced and endured that same rejection himself. Yet in spite of all of the hatred and oppression and rejection that Dr. King faced, on that day during the March on Washington, he was still able to be a voice for hope. He was able to look past the Jim Crow laws, the voter registration acts, and the continuing presence of segregation all across the South to share his dream of a world, a world where love would eventually replace hatred, a world where rejection would eventually give way to acceptance. Dr. King wasn't able to speak about that kind of world from his own experience. Instead, he had to trust and rely on someone else who was all too familiar with the sting of rejection himself. So who is it that Dr. King had to put his trust into? We have to put his trust into the son of a day laborer, someone who grew up in a volatile world himself. He had to put his trust inside of a person who was forced to flee from his home on multiple occasions before he was even a toddler. His family had to leave behind their family. They had to leave behind their friends. They had to leave behind their comfortable homes. They had to leave behind places that were supposed to be filled with promise and potential, only to turn into places that were filled with hatred and rejection, just like everywhere else. And it didn't seem to matter where his family fled, whether they fled north or south, east or west, no matter where they went, they couldn't escape the long arm of an empire that could care less if they even existed. They couldn't escape the long arm of an empire that routinely harassed, both verbally and physically, people that were just like them. But in spite of it all, in spite of everything that he had to endure, this person survived. And in spite of all of the struggle, he still felt like he was called to do something about it. So at the age of 30, he became an itinerant minister, traveling from village to village and town to town, sharing the good news of the kingdom of God with anyone and everyone that would listen to him. But just because he was following God's call for his life, that doesn't mean that the rejection that he faced came to an end. As a matter of fact, while he was still trying to find people that would join and serve alongside of him in his new founded ministry, the thing of rejection was never very far away. And in the Gospel of John, we're going to see a story about the rejection that this young preacher continued to face. So let's listen this morning to these words from the Gospel of John, where in John chapter 1, verse 43, writes, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. If you listen closely when you're reading this passage, you can almost hear the disdain in Nathaniel's voice when he asks, Nazareth, 
Can anything good come from there? But why does Nathaniel say that? Well, Nathaniel says it's because he knows that Nazareth is absolutely the last place on the face of the earth that anyone would expect the Messiah to come from. Nazareth was just a really small town of maybe three or four hundred people. It was a suburb of the much larger city of Sporus. On top of that, Nazareth was never actually mentioned in the Old Testament. So there were absolutely no expectations that the Messiah would come from Nazareth or even the region that that small town was located in. So Nathaniel knew that the Messiah was supposed to come from someplace else. So when Philip comes to him and he starts telling him about this man that he's met, Nathaniel knows that whoever this guy is that Philip is telling him about has to be mistaken. Whoever this man is that Philip is telling him about that is claiming to be the Messiah is just another in the long list of false messiahs that the nation of Israel has seen. Nathaniel writes Jesus off before Nathaniel even knows Jesus. You know, it's funny just how often we do the exact same thing in our world today. It's funny how often we write people off before we even know them. We did this all throughout the civil rights movement. As white Americans wrote off black Americans simply because white Americans didn't know any people of color. So it wasn't until white Americans started to hear voices like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s and seeing people like the nonviolent protesters that were coming to cities all across the South the public perception began to change. And once we started to get to know each other, we saw that many people were able to set aside their prejudices and the disparity and the racism that our nation has harbored for far too long. And the same thing is going to happen as we continue to read from Nathaniel's story. Things are going to change. Jesus begins to know him. So let's listen to the rest of the story. Picking back up in John chapter 1, verse 46. Nazareth, did anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So as Nathaniel met Jesus, as Nathaniel got to know Jesus just a little bit, he saw that everything that Philip had told him about Jesus was absolutely true. He saw that Jesus was the Son of God. He saw that Jesus is the King of Kings. He saw that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. But not everybody came to that realization. Plenty of people continued to reject Jesus and refused to listen to anything that Jesus taught. Plenty of people continue to reject.
reject Jesus and refuse to acknowledge the miracles that Jesus performed. Plenty of people continue to reject Jesus and refuse to allow Jesus to continue to live his life. But in spite of all of this, even though there were people who continued to reject him and refused to listen to what he taught, Jesus continued to teach. Even though there were people who refused to acknowledge the miracles that Jesus performed, Jesus continued to perform miracles. Even though there were people who refused to allow Jesus to continue to live and crucify him, Jesus was resurrected from the grave and continues to live today. And through it all, Jesus continues to accept us all. Through it all, Jesus continues to accept us all. Even when Nathaniel questioned Jesus' very identity, Jesus continued to accept the man. Even when Jesus was picked on and put down and spit at and beat up and ultimately killed, Jesus continues to accept us all. So my question is, if Jesus accepts us all, then why do we reject each other? If Jesus accepts us all, then why do we reject each other? Not too long ago, I was reading a blog post that was written by Philip Yancey, who is one of my favorite Christian authors. And in this blog post, Philip Yancey shares a story about Christians accepting rather than rejecting. So in this story, Philip Yancey writes about a friend of his named Craig Detweiler, who has a history of taking his communication students from Loyola and Pepperdine University to the Sundance Festival of Independent Films. And one year when he took his students to this festival, there was one film that had that they attended that had an absolutely sold-out showing. And it was having these sold-out crowds because of the way that it lampooned American Christianity. So inside of this movie, the, the story begins with an average, typical family on their way to a service at Southern Baptist Church one Sunday morning. But while they're on their way there, they're in a car accident, and they're killed. And the family goes to heaven. When they arrive at the pearly gates, they're greeted by a tattoo-covered Jesus who sends them back down to earth immediately. And as he does, Jesus strips them of their original sin. So this family, to celebrate their newfound shamelessness, they do things that most of us would never imagine. They walk around naked. They do acts that completely shock their friends and their neighbors. So in the film, it's not very long before members of the Christian community get together to Bible study, and they devise a plan where they're going to serve this family an apple pie that is laced with poison to send them straight back to heaven again. Well, Phil Gibson's friend Craig says that throughout the entire film, the, the audience was just uproariously laughing and having a great time. And when the film came to an end, the director, a guy named Jay, received a standing ovation work, and then he took a few questions from the audience. One member in the audience that day asked Jay if any conservative Christians had seen the film yet. Jay responded that he didn't know if any conservative Christians had seen the film, but he was ready for the fight when they did. At that point, Craig Detweiler felt like he needed to say something, but he struggled to find the right words. So when he began to speak at first, his voice kind of creaked and 
struggle to get the words out, but he was eventually able to speak. And he said, Jay, I just want to thank you for your film. As a native of North Carolina, as a fellow filmmaker, and as an evangelical Christian. As those words left his mouth, he could almost feel the air sucked out of the auditorium. Craig says that you can see the film's director, Jay, take a couple steps back to get ready for the confrontation that he knew was coming. The audience as a whole knew that something bad and crazy was probably about to go down. But all of that changed when Craig spoke again. His next words caught the entire audience off guard. Here's what he said. He said, Jay, I apologize for anything ever done to you in the name of God. I apologize for anything ever done to you in the name of God. The atmosphere in that theater that day immediately changed. People started turning around in their seats trying to get a glimpse of the guy who said these words. They started talking to one another, making sure that they actually heard what Craig said that day. They just could not believe it. The director was so taken back that he smumbled and stumbled and couldn't find any words to speak initially because the director was completely prepared for a fight, but he wasn't prepared for an apology. So eventually all the director could do was mumble out, thank you. The screen came to an end and people started leaving the auditorium. Craig shares that many of them asked if they could hug him as they walked past. He shares that one lesbian couple thanked him for what he said. He says that one gay man came and kissed him on the cheek because of what he said. He said that one person in that audience that day came to him and said, if what you said is true, I need to give Christianity another chance. Craig shares that many tears were shed in that theater that day. It was all because of two simple words. I apologize. I apologize. When I hear that story, I can't help but wonder how different the world would be if we were all willing to do what Craig Detweiler I wonder how different the world would be if we, as followers of Jesus, were willing to apologize for everything that has been done wrong in the name of Jesus, not only in the past, but things that continue to be done wrong in the name of Jesus in the present. I wonder how different the world would be if we were willing to empathize with people that this world rejects because we serve a God who knows what it's like to be rejected himself. Or to put it another way for you, I wonder what it would be like if we love others the way Jesus loves us. What if we love others like Jesus does? What if we love others like Jesus does? Because Jesus loves every single one of us the way that he loves Nathaniel. Jesus loves us even when we question him. Jesus loves us even if we doubt him. Jesus loves us even if we reject him. Jesus
loves us all. That's another piece of the mosaic of who Jesus is. Jesus is a God who loves every single one of us. And it does not matter what categories we can come up with, there is no one, no one that Jesus doesn't love. It's up to us to figure out what we're going to do with that piece of the mosaic. It's up to us to figure out what we're going to do with this piece of Jesus that clearly loves every one of us. We have to decide. We have to decide if we are willing to love or if we want to continue to hate. If we are going to accept or if we're going to continue to reject. We all have it within us to love others like Jesus does. We just have to make the decision. Are we willing to get rid of our hatred and love the people that we need? Are we willing to stop rejecting people because of whatever labels we put upon them and accept them when God always knows? Are we willing to set ourselves aside? willing to put other people first? Are we willing to stop living for ourselves and start living for Jesus? That's the question you have to ask. But regardless of how you answer it, you cannot change the fact that Jesus' love for us all is a major part of who Jesus God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, you know how often we misrepresent your name in this world. You know how often we reject people because of whatever categories we want to place them in. We reject people because of their gender, because of their race, because of their sexual orientation, because of their economic status, because of their education level. We reject people for so many different reasons. God, you are a God who loves every single one of us. You are a God who accepts every single one of us. You are a God that never turns your back on any of us. So God, help us to be more like you. God, you know that throughout the series we're talking about who Jesus is. God, we need to understand who Jesus is because we are trying to be more like him. So God, help us to love everyone we meet the way that you love us all. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that you have been challenged by this episode to love others like Jesus does. Because far too often we live in a world where Jesus may accept everyone, but we reject so many people before we even know them. So let's all be challenged, let's all be inspired to love the world the way that Jesus loves the world. 
Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue on in the sermon series called Mosaic, and we're going to keep exploring stories from Jesus' life to see what they can teach us about who Jesus is. So I hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But don't forget, you can also join us on Sunday mornings live on our church website every single week. We would love to have you. We worship at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time at M mhbclouisville.com. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.